Our series, uh, Staff Picks, the Old Testament edition, we're going to be in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 7. As you're turning there, Keith and the Gideons, thank you for your presentation today. Uh, Jam-packed day, celebrating you know, an incredible week of VBS, uh, hearing some information about a local ministry and a global ministry called the Gideons International. Uh, our mission team uh, that we prayed for last week has landed at their location and doing well and worshiped with our partner church uh, for us earlier this morning. And so just a lot of good things. And then last week, just as a quick update, uh, just as an incredible sign of unity across our church, uh, the officers that we voted on, in case you did not see that on social media, uh, all were approved with either 100% or over 99%. And so uh, just thank you for your participation and just what a wonderful week it was last week as we opened the new building and officers and VBS. Just incredible. So Judges chapter 7, as we jump in here, um, Old Testament edition, because the Gideons were sharing, I thought it would be appropriate to study their namesake, the Judge Gideon. And so I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 as we get started. It says this, Then Jerubel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And any of any one of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. I'm going to be referencing things from Judges chapter 6 and then certainly the eight verses that we just read and after those eight verses as we get a picture of Gideon. He's one of the most famous characters, if you will, from the book of Judges. Now, when I was in college, just a little connection to the Gideons International. When I was in college, I was taking a history of Christianity course. And one of the assignments was we had to pick a topic within the world of history of Christianity. And we had to have a visual aid and we had to give a presentation about it. 
Well, earlier in the week, there were some Gideons who had handed out some green New Testaments, and I had taken one. And so I decided that my presentation was going to be on the history of translation of the Bible. And my visual aid is I had a friend bake a cake with green icing and put a little gold two-handled pot with a torch in it on the bottom. And so my presentation was about the history of the translation of the Bible. My visual aid was a cake made to look like a Gideon New Testament. And I thought maybe for extra points, if I served that cake, I would, I would do well. That's why I personally did not make the cake, but I had someone who knew what they were doing bake the cake. I will never forget, the presentation was fine, everybody enjoyed the cake, but the moment that just sealed it for me, uh, for those of you who do not know, I, I did go to Auburn University, that's only important to this part of the story, is a few days later, I'm walking just in the mass of people from the parking lot to the campus one morning, and a truck full of our football players were driving by, and there was a, a football player in that class he was a safety at the time named Junior Rosengreen, if you remember SEC history at all. That's not that important. But I'll never forget standing there just waiting to cross the street. That truck of football players stops. Junior's in the bed of that truck, and he points me out in front of this mass of people and is like, man, that cake was good. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, I, I don't even know what kind of credit that gave me, but the Gideons International impacted me, at least for some street cred, at the corner of the parking lot that day. Now, the Gideons themselves take their name from this judge, Gideon. Now, when you go and look at their website, the idea in 1899, I believe it was, when they named this, the idea was this. Gideon was a man who in spite of fear and unknowns, acted in faith. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 also highlights him as a man of faith among other judges as well. And that is true. But there is more than meets the eye, if you will, to the story and the character of Gideon. And so I want to look at this very quickly this morning. Number one in your life point outline, just three critical choices for the believer from the life of Gideon. Number one, we choose faith over fear. We choose faith over fear. When you read the account of Gideon in the book of Judges, chapter 6, 7, and 8, the first two chapters, you actually see a deeply flawed person who is driven by fear. When we first meet Gideon, he is threshing, but not up on a hill where you would throw up the grain and the wind would blow the chaff away and the good stuff would fall down. He, because of the Midianites and their raiding, was in a sunken down area hiding, if you will. He's fearful. An angel of the Lord shows up. He is fearful. A little bit later, the angel of the Lord tells him, I need you to go and tear down the Asherah pole that your dad has set up in the community. Gideon is fearful. He goes at night so no one would see him because he was afraid. 
When God tells him he's going to use Gideon to deliver Israel from the Midianites, he requires, sometimes we think of this as admirable, it's actually a sign of his fear that he throws out a fleece, not once, and God answers it in his patience with him, but then twice. Putting out a fleece is not necessarily an admirable thing. It's saying, I don't trust your initial word. God, would you give me a sign? He is fearful. Then you come into Judges chapter 7, and there's 32,000 men gathered with Gideon. At, uh, at the, the spring of Herod, there in verse 1, when I was reading through some biblical commentaries this week, the spring of Herod, this is just so great when stuff like this happens in Scripture, means the spring of trembling. Gideon has fear overriding faith. And God says this to Gideon, you've got too many men. If you go and conquer, and if I deliver Midian from you, you will turn around and say, we did it. Look at what we did. He says, so you got too many. I want you to go down to the camp of soldiers and say, anybody who's afraid and trembling at this spring of trembling, you can go home. And Gideon probably thought, we'll lose 1,000, 2,000. I mean, these are soldiers. And he makes the announcement. By the way, this is the very test of Gideon. I'm sure God had to say, but Gideon, you have to stay. <laughs> and can you imagine Gideon? I mean, if I was him, I would be saying, as I look at this manly group of men, you rugged warriors, soldiers, the Lord has said, if anybody is afraid, you can go home. And then he was shaking in his boots when 22,000 men said, you know what, I'm out. <laughs> and they left. Can you imagine uh, two-thirds out the door? And then God comes to Gideon and says, you still got too many. You think Gideon was afraid? <laughs> And so he says, let's go down and get some water for the people. And I'm going to tell you to separate people into two different camps. And anybody that brings water up and drinks it, lapping it like a dog out of their hands, you put on one corner. And everybody that gets all the way down on their face and just straight face to water, you put in another. And Gideon is probably smart enough to see that there is a disproportionate number of people going to one side than the other. And based on the previous test, he probably has an idea of what's happening. Those that are bringing the water up, much smaller amount than those that are going to the other side. I would imagine he went to some of his biggest dudes and was just like, hey, guys, everybody just get some water. You know, just, just get some, come on, man, what are you getting? What, you're facing the water. You go over here. 9,700 of the 10,000 remaining put their face directly in the water, and only 300 bent down, scooped it up, and drank. And God says, I'm going to use the 300. And Gideon said, of course you are. <laughs> and so he sends the 9,700 away. But Gideon is fearful, and God knows it. And he says, I'm going to use this 300 to defeat the Midianites. 
But because I know that you're probably still nervous and afraid, if you want to sneak down to their camp, you'll hear something that will give you the resolve. And so Gideon takes one person, they sneak down to the camp of the Midianites, and in the midst of this, the picture is this. We've got 300, the Midianites are like the sands of the sea. They are just too numerous. And he sneaks down to the camp, and two guys are having a conversation. One guy just woke up from a dream and said, I had a weird dream. This, this loaf of bread just came down and flattened a tent. And the other guy says, that's probably Gideon to our camp. And Gideon hears this, he worships, and finally he moves from fear to faith. And he goes up on to those 300 men and says, tonight you do as I do. We're going to divide into three companies. We're going to surround them. They're in the valley. We're going to go across third, third, third. And they're going, where's the armory? He says, you got some pottery and a torch. That's all we need. And they get up there, and they're surrounding, and it's about midnight, the second, in between the second and third watches. And they make the shout, and it's very ironic, actually. They shout, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. No one up there has a sword. <laughs> but what they do is they scream they bust the pots, the torches become visible, and they make this scream. And if you've ever been woken up in the middle of the night, the Midianite army wakes up, and the Lord, it says, confuses them, and they begin to turn the swords on each other. And Gideon, his 300, are just standing up there with torches, watching it all play out. And after the carnage is done, they start to chase after the final ones. Finally, Gideon chose faith over fear. The insight, and I'm trying to move very quickly, but the insight says this. God can use flawed people whose faith is rightly placed in him. That's the message of Hebrews 11, looking back on a guy like Gideon, looking back on a guy like Samson, looking back on a guy like Jephthah. All judges, all deeply flawed. Anybody else in this room feel deeply flawed? Amen. And yet God says this, though you are deeply flawed, when your faith is rightly placed in him, he can accomplish much. The New Testament would describe it like this, in our weakness, he is strong. That is why we look at Gideon and say, yes, though you are deeply flawed, when you put your faith rightly in God, the enemy turns on themselves and is defeated. I wish that was the totality of Gideon's story. But again, he's deeply flawed, and there's two other things that we can learn from him. Number two, what we learn from his life is not only do we choose faith over fear, but we should choose humility over pride. We should choose humility over pride. This entire exercise from chapter 7 was so dwindling the army down was so that the people would not get confused about who delivered the victory. 
And what you see play out is Gideon, who went from fearful, ends up moving towards a tyrant. In fact, when they yell, he tells them what to yell for the Lord and for Gideon. This whole thing was so that it would not be anyone but the Lord's victory. And so you see this little moment for the Lord and for Gideon. As soon as they start to, the Midianites attack themselves and then the remnant starts to run away, Gideon immediately calls back up into service those whom the Lord had sent away. I mean, immediately you see that he calls to the same tribes that he had sent people home to. God didn't say that. In fact, after the Lord shares with Gideon in a dream that he would have victory, the Lord never speaks to Gideon again in the, in the passage. Pride becomes his downfall. He becomes, this is the insight, a personification of the proverb, pride comes before a fall. Immediately. He calls in all these guys that the Lord had said, I'm just use the 300. That's who will deliver. Not only that, then he is now overconfident in his own ability. If you begin reading further, he starts taking personal vengeance on people. They come to a town and he says, hey, will you give us uh, food and rations? And they say, well, have you killed so-and-so yet? Meaning these two generals from the, the, the camp that he had just run out. He goes and kills them, brings their heads back and say, I do now. And then he kills them. Personal vengeance. Then later they say, we want to make you king. And he's like, oh, no, no. He says, no, I don't want to be king, but if you'll give me the wealth of a king, everybody throw in some of the spoils here. And then he takes those spoils and makes an ephod that becomes an idol. He started in chapter 6 tearing down an Asherah pole. And by the end, he's got people worshiping a false god again. Pride over humility. We can learn from this and choose humility over pride. We should be careful for claiming any part of a victory that is God's alone. We should be careful as individuals, as families, and as a church to take credit for what God has done, is doing, will do. Pride comes before a fall. Gideon's legacy as he continues this downward spiral is that he marries way more than one wife, has way more children with all these women. He has a concubine, which means a woman that he didn't even marry, who then becomes the downfall that leads the people, his son, into the next round of everyone did what was right in their own eyes, meaning they did evil. A great victory followed by a fall into paganism. The scripture tells us pride comes before a fall. We should remember this. Again, trying to move very quickly. I'm going to move forward. I had a whole set of slides, but we'll another time. Number three, you also can choose holiness over cultural syncretism. We choose holiness over cultural 
syncretism. Let me back that up and explain it very quickly. The entire book of Judges, the entire book of Judges is a downward spiral of the people. Look, if the last time you read the book of Judges was when you were in third, fourth grade Sunday school and it's like, Samson, Gideon, man, these guys are awesome. Can I just tell you, they are deeply flawed leaders representing a deeply flawed people. And it goes from good Joshua to total split. Tribe against tribe infighting, cultural syncretism, meaning they're taking the way of the pagan world and incorporating it into the life of the community of God's people. And it becomes just this down, downward spiral. You see it over and over again. You have the people do right in their own eyes. They do evil. And then God allows regionally a group to come in as punishment, and, and the people of Israel are unable to drive them out. Then they call out to God finally, and then he raises up a champion who will then represent that people and then deliver them. And then there will be peace in the land until that judge dies. And then the cycle continues, and they all did what was right in their own eyes. And it gets worse the further into the book of Judges you go. Here is the truth the book of Judges illustrates the downward spiral of God's people because they begin to look more like the pagan world than they look like his covenant people. Ladies and gentlemen, I mean, as quickly as I can, we live in a pagan culture. And we should be mindful that we do not begin to incorporate into our holiness, that we would sacrifice holiness for fitting into cultural pagan syncretism, syncing those things together. We see this in so many ways. You see it in hedonism that is no longer just something that happens in the pagan world but happens in and among God's people. You see it in materialism, which is no longer just something that happens among pagan people, but it is a battle within God's people. You see it in this religious syncretism where you begin to hear Christians, those that call on the name of Christ at least, standing up and saying, there is more than one way to God. Jesus is one among many ways. That is false. That is a lie. That is syncretism. And we should be careful. That's something we can take from Gideon's life. His dad had set up an Asherah pole, which is a, a, a means of worshiping Baal, the false god, the idol, alongside Yahweh. And then Gideon comes back and does the exact same thing. The downward spiral tells us this that sometimes we get leaders that reflect who we are as a people. And when we look at leaders that are less than God's holiness, we need to be reminded, and this is the final truth, God provided a perfect champion to deliver his people when he sent Jesus. 
If the book of Judges can tell us anything, as it happens between the conquest of Canaan and the rise of the monarchy, which also was a failed experiment, is this. Only God can be our champion to deliver us what he promised. And that has only come in Christ. And so with that, here's a couple of questions to reflect on, and I'm going to close this out. Where is God asking you to step in faith, but you are trembling at the spring of trembling? Ask the Lord to reveal to you areas of pride and ask for forgiveness this week. In what areas might you be compromising your holiness? And do you need to trust Christ for salvation today? A couple of questions, three truths from the life of Gideon, faith over fear, humility over pride, holiness over cultural syncretism. And I think I did that in about 15 minutes, all right? So let's pray and let's go out and live as God intended. Father, thank you for this day. So much to celebrate from the word being proclaimed through song about your holiness, your worthiness. Father, to the message of the Gideons that the word of God is changing lives. And Father, from the word from Judges about the life of Gideon, Lord, we are deeply flawed in this room. And yet when our faith is rightly placed in your true champion, we have victory. May we go in that victory today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.